Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I am John Clay, sports columnist with the Lexanero Leader and Kentucky.com. It is Thursday, September 15, 2022, and on Saturday, uh, the Kentucky football team is back in action as they take on the Youngstown State Penguins at Kroger Field. It's a noon kickoff on the SEC Network. Kentucky comes in 2-0 and after their big win over Florida last week, 26-16 in Gainesville. It's a win that moved Kentucky up all the way to number nine in the AP Top 25. It's the first time Kentucky's been ranked in the AP Top 10 since 2007, coming off that win over LSU. Rich Brooks's team, when LSU was number one in the country, uh, LSU went on to win the national championship that year. So this is the first time Kentucky's been a Top 10 team since then. Youngstown State is also 2-0. They're an FCS school, and obviously the talk all week is about the connections between Mark Stoops. Youngstown is his hometown, uh, and Youngstown State. Mark's not the only one, of course, with connections. His brother, linebacker coach Mike Stoops, also of course from Youngstown, Frank Buffano coaches the safeties, uh, coach in the defensive backfield. Uh, he's also from Youngstown. He actually coached at Youngstown State at one point in his career, Frank Buffano. Vince Marrow, uh, UK's associate head coach, recruiting coordinator, tight ends coach. Uh, he also from Youngstown, he played at Cardinal Mooney, uh, where Mark and Mike's dad, Ron Sr., was a longtime defensive coordinator, was a longtime assistant coach. Uh, and then Courtney Love, who was a linebacker for Kentucky, who was a graduate assistant. Now he's a director of player development for Kentucky. Uh, he also is a Cardinal Mooney and Youngstown guy. He is on the Kentucky staff as well. So a lot of connections there between Kentucky and Youngstown. But then we'll get on the field. That'll all kind of go away when they get on the field. Uh, at noon and to preview the game, I talked with Bob Hannon, who is the play-by-play man for the Youngstown State Penguins. Bob's in his 34th year of doing the play-by-play for for Youngstown. He gave us a scouting report on the Penguins for this season. And then to talk about Kentucky, I talked to my friend and colleague, John Hale, who covers UK football for the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. A couple of quick reminders before we get to the interviews. You can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. Leave us a rating and a review on the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. And we sure appreciate everybody who supports our work at Kentucky.com and the Lexington Herald Leader. And you can do that by getting a subscription, a digital subscription, or a print subscription. Go to Kentucky.com, hit on the subscription tab, check out all the offers for subscriptions to the Herald Leader and the Kentucky.com. Like I said, we can't thank you enough for supporting our work at the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. Okay, let's get to it. Let's get to our interviews. First, Bob Hannon, who does play-by-play for Youngstown State, and then John Hale of Kentucky.com and the Lexington Herald Leader. Okay, my guest now on the podcast is Bob Hannon, the play-by-play announcer for the Youngstown State Penguins. How's it, how's it going, Bob? It's going well. You know, we're off to a good start. I, I think it's two games that the Youngstown State had to win. Had we not won those first two, then it would have been a red flag beating Duquesne and Dayton. Um, off to a good start, but when you, you look at this team right now, I mean, you talk about a step up in competition going from those two to play in Kentucky, and then two weeks from Saturday, we play North Dakota State, who's the premier program in FCS. We're going to find out a lot about the Penguins over the next couple games. Yeah. Uh, I, what, what is the excitement there in Youngstown for coming down to play Kentucky, playing an SEC team, and, we, and with Mark Stoops and all the Stoops connections and the Youngstown connections that Kentucky has in, uh, in its program? I think there's a lot of excitement. I think there's realistic expectation. You know, we've been playing FBS teams 
for about 15 years now. Mm -hmm. uh, we did beat Pitt in 2011. We took him into overtime another year. And, but we've also had those Saturdays that have been long Saturday afternoons like last year at Michigan State. But I, I think you nailed it on, on the Mark Stoops connection. Uh, the Stoops brothers are icons here in the Youngstown area. Uh, they spend a lot of time here. Their mother still lives here. Mark comes back quite a bit in the summer. Uh, so to have Mark Stoops giving Youngstown State an opportunity. And I think also for Youngstown State fans, it's only about a six-hour drive. Most of the games in our conference are, are flight. We play North Dakota State, South Dakota State, Northern Iowa. So to have an opportunity uh, to jump in a car and go play a big-time SEC program, uh, you mentioned Mark, but Frank Buffano, who right. coaches the secondary, was on Coach Wolford's staff. Vince Morrow was a great high school athlete here, and he's done a terrific job. So all those Youngstown connections uh, led by Coach Stoops, I think, makes it even more special for Youngstown State and the Penguin fans. What What about, okay, let's talk about the Youngstown State team you mentioned earlier, 2-0. and What were the expectations for the Penguins coming into this year? That's a very good question. You know, we play in what I think is the equivalent of the SEC and FCS football. Uh, there's no question the Missouri Valley Conference is the, is the best conference in the country. And Coach Phillips' first two years have not been, been that good. Uh, he's been under 500. But I really believe the expectations and legitimately were that this could be a playoff team. It's his third year. He had his first full off season. Uh, to get this program uh, stronger and, and better. And he also brought in, I think, a handful of FBS transfers. So I love by Marcus Hooker, uh, who started 15 games at Ohio State, now our safety. So I think the expectation was get to seven wins, which in FCS football, you have 24 teams in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Any team that's ever had seven wins out of our conference has made the playoffs. So I, uh, we have a very good home schedule, uh, games that we should be able to win. So I think this is a program that doesn't believe it can win a national championship this year, but does believe it should be in the playoffs and maybe win a playoff game or two. Let's let's start with the offense. Uh, your quarterback, uh, and I'm not sure I know how to pronounce his first name, but Crenshaw, uh, can you five touchdowns, no interceptions through the first two games. Uh, Jaleel McLaughlin, a really good running back. Uh, we were talking with defensive coordinator Brad White yesterday, Kentucky's defensive coordinator. He went on and on about how impressed he is with McLaughlin. Uh, talk a little bit about the Youngstown offense. Well, let's begin with Jaleel because I may not be the most uh, – uh, impartial person, but I think Jalil is the best running back uh, in the country on the FCS level. Really? Uh, he began his career at Notre Dame College, which was Division Two. Now, in NCAA history, he's now 10th all-time with almost 7,000 yards rushing. Wow. Uh, not real big, but has tremendous vision, a great speed, um, doesn't turn the football over, and typically, as games have gone on, he's gotten better. So I think uh, he's the kind of guy that could probably play on just about any FBS team in the country. He is certainly the heart and soul of this football team. He's the leader. Uh, and with his ability to be able to run the football, we should be better at play-action passing because so many teams focus on Jaleel. Dimitri Crenshaw is a young guy only making his 10th start out of the Columbus area. Very good runner. Uh, gives us that dimension. Still is not as prolific throwing the football as we'd like. I think he needs to get up about 60, 65% completions, and he's probably at about 50%. He sometimes likes to run and get out of the pocket quickly, and they're trying to work with him to, to check down, throw to the second receiver, third receiver. But we also have a very good uh, wide receiver in Bryce Oliver who began his career at Kentucky. Right. Uh, Bryce is dynamic. He can stretch the field. He can get deep. So I think we have weapons, but there's no question uh, that the key to this team and to have any chance to be competitive on Saturday 
we need to run the football because Jaleel is, is as good as it gets on our level of football. Uh, I noticed, too, when look at it, you, you have a receiver, Max Tomzak. Now, is he related to Mike Tomzak, the former NFL quarterback? He is. It's, he's Mike Tomzak's nephew. Uh, he walked on. He's from Illinois. He walked on. He's, he's a Wes Welker type, if you think about the NFL. He's a slot guy. He has great hands. And, in fact, Mike Tomzak is a volunteer assistant on the Penguin coaching staff. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, yeah. So Mike works with the program. And uh, Max Max has helped us. Max has given us that guy that can go over the middle, you know, third and four, third and three. We look for Max to get that first down. Has very good hands. So he, we didn't have a lot of depth. And one of our best receivers, C.J. Charleston, got hurt. He's out for the year. So getting Mac Tom, Max Tomzak in here certainly helped the pass game. Okay, what about defensively? What does Youngstown look like on that side of the ball? We'll play eight or nine on the defensive line. We don't have that dynamic, disruptive, dominant pass rusher, but we've got a lot of good players on the defensive line. James Jackson, Dylan Wootke, uh, Chris Fitzgerald all have experience. So I think the strength of the defense is, one, the depth on the defensive line, and they're all pretty good. Uh, they get after the quarterback. We have five interceptions this year, and I credit four of those to the defensive line getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Uh, we also have a safety now, Marcus Hooker, who began his career at Ohio State. Uh, college football fans may remember Malik Hooker, oh, yeah. uh, played at Ohio State. This is his brother. Malik now starts for the Dallas Cowboys. Marcus could be a game changer. He had some issues at Ohio State. Talent wasn't one of them. He started 15 games for the Buckeyes. So I think for sure our defensive line is the best part of our football team. Uh, but on the back end, we got a lot better when Marcus Hooker came in. And what about special teams? How how, or how's, how how have you looked in the first two games in special teams? Not too good, which has no. been a bit surprising. <laughs> Colt McFadden, who made eight to nine field goals last year and won a game for us, is only one of three. Uh, we've had some miscues. Uh, we had we've had some trouble on uh, kickoffs. Uh, Coach Phillips felt coming in that we had a lot of veterans, uh, but it has to get better. One area we've been really good is punting the football. We really? lead all of FCS football at about forty eight yards a punt. But our place kicking and our kick coverage has not been very good through two games. And I know that's a big concern for Coach right now. So what? Uh, before I ask you, though, about the keys, let me ask you about Youngstown. As you say, it's your 34th year doing uh, the Penguins games. Uh, a lot of talk here about, I mean, Youngstown and football and his reputation. Uh, Jim Trussell, great run there as Youngstown coach. Uh, why is football so important in that area, do you think? Well, football is huge. I mean, you, you look at the Mahoning Valley and just the coaches that have come out here, Jim Trussell, uh, Bear Mangino was at Kansas, Stoops Brothers uh, come out of the Mahoning Valley. Uh, it, it's a blue-collar, uh, tough, hard-nosed community. We've had a lot of high school football state champions. Uh, football dominates the Youngstown area, and also Ohio is one of the best uh, recruiting states in the country, maybe not as good as it once was. And, you know, that's a very good question. In the 90s, Jim Trussell dominated FCS football. He goes on and has a great run at Ohio State. We have not been the same. Really? And it's it's puzzling because we have some of the best facilities on FCS football. We put a lot of money into football. Uh, it's important here. We have a president in Jim Trussell who cares about football. Uh, so we need to start winning again. We need to start getting the program back. Coach Pelini took us to the national championship game in 2016. It looked like we were on our way back, but he but he wasn't able to capitalize on that success. But I think it's just the culture of Youngstown, you know, tough, still town. I uh, love football. I uh, love Ohio State. But when it comes to the Youngstown area, FCS, the, I mean, the Penguins are the, are the number one story in town. 
So what, what does Youngstown have to do on Saturday night uh, to have a chance of knocking off Kentucky or at least uh, giving Kentucky a, a really tough game? Well, I think we need to get a handful of turnovers. I, I mean, we, if it, I, we just have to get some breaks in the game. Kentucky's probably going to have to be really flat and coming off the Florida game. I think we're realistic. And I think something we need to do, which is going to be very difficult, is run the football. Uh, typically in the games where we've not been competitive against Michigan State, Ohio State, West Virginia, we haven't been able to generate offense. We haven't been able to score. Um, and, and Youngstown State needs to run the football. I would think Jaleel McLaughlin would need to rush probably for 125 yards, which is going to be very difficult. And then the defense is going to have to generate some turnovers to have a chance to, to play with Kentucky. I can tell you we all went home last Saturday night after our win and watched Kentucky and Florida, and we were very impressed uh, by the athleticism of Kentucky, uh, obviously a great quarterback. But what Mark Stoops has done in bringing in talent uh, he's getting closer to the top teams in the SEC, and it's going to be a tough day for us. But we're we're excited to come and play. Well, it should be a really good atmosphere, and and you know we've we've written about and talked about all week about all the Kentucky Youngstown connections. I know it's a it'll be a fun weekend for uh, for Mark, he, uh, Mark and Mike both, and Frank Buffano, as you mentioned, events, and then Courtney Love, who played there. Yep. A, he's on Mark's staff as director of player personnel. Uh, you know, there's so many connections. I know they talk about a lot of friends, family coming in for the game, so that should be fun. Uh, Bob, for the people who listen to the podcast, uh, especially the people in Ohio and so forth, where can they find the broadcast of the game on Saturday? We're on uh, 570 WKBN, uh, also iHeartRadio. So if you went to iHeartRadio and went to 570 WKBN, you, you could find our broadcast. Uh, that's our flagship station. Fortunately, it gets all over Northeast Ohio and, and into Western Pennsylvania. You know, I, I would just close by saying, too, you know, the, the Stoops brothers, I think Mark, most of all, they have never forgotten about Youngstown. Uh, when there's a charity, there's a nonprofit. You know, my full-time job is the president of our local United Way. And anytime I need a helmet or a football signed, and even for this game, Mark donated four tickets, really? four pregame field passes to our United Way for an auction. Uh, he's, he's, he's very generous. He's very giving. And he, he's really, uh, he'll always be connected to Youngstown and the Mahoning Valley. And I think the people here appreciate him for that. That's great to hear because I know how much Youngstown means to him uh, from the time he got here in 2013 up until you know this week. Uh, he's referred to Youngstown uh, many times and, and has recruited well in uh, Ohio, obviously, and around in that area as well. Uh, Bob, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Oh, it's been great to be on. We're, we're, we're excited uh, for, for so many reasons. It's our first trip down there to, to call a game from Lexington and to play an SEC opponent. And uh, looks like we're going to have some really good weather. And we yeah. like the noon kickoff, so we look forward to it. Well, thanks again, Bob. You're welcome. Take care. Okay, my guest on the podcast is John Hale, my friend and colleague who covers UK football for the Kentucky, for Kentucky.com and the Lexington Arrow Leader. How's it going, John? Good. How are you? I am good. Uh, Kentucky coming off that big win over Florida last Saturday. Uh, let's talk briefly about that game before we get into Youngstown. Now that it's been a few days away, uh, what what were your impressions of that game? What sticks with you from that game? Yeah, to me, it's mostly just the way they won. I mean, it obviously wasn't super pretty uh, for most of the game. But when you look at that second quarter and uh, there's the interception off of, you know, when Will Levis was getting hit, it doesn't technically go down as a sack, but, you know, maybe it was actually a fumble. I don't know, but the guy caught it in the air. So it's interception that sets up a touchdown. Then you have the bad snap on the punt, goes through the back of the end zone. 
it feels like one of those Kentucky football moments where it's all spiraling out of control. We even talked to Jordan right after the game and he brought up when they were there two years ago in the COVID game, they got blown out in that game, but it was actually close in the first half. Right. And Florida returned a punt and they lost all their momentum and then just spiraled from there. So to see that happen and you're thinking, okay, here it comes. This is when it's going to fall apart. And to immediately bounce back and Jordan Wright get the interception and set up the short touchdown. And then just basically in the second half, even though they weren't, they weren't scoring a bunch of points. They found some success in the run game, took control of the clock, and it just felt like Florida was never going to score unless they got a short field off a turnover. So it was really dominant, even though it was close. So to see Kentucky bounce back the way they did, I thought that was really impressive and a testament to how many of these veteran guys that have been around for a while have really kind of imposed their, you know, their experience on this team. Hey, how did you think Will Levis played? I thought he was really good early. Um, obviously, the stats are just okay in the end of the game. I wonder how much of that is because they kind of went conservative in the second half because they knew that um, the only way Florida was going to score is if they made a mistake. Uh, he deserves, I think, a lot of credit for hanging in there, even though he kept getting hit so much. He got sacked three times in the first quarter, and then the hit that we mentioned in the second quarter that was an interception. Uh, that's got to have an effect on you after a while. But, you know, I thought overall it was very positive. It turns out. You know, Rich Scangarello said this week they left 200 yards of offense on the field, and one of those was a tight end fell down, and the guy ran into the referee. Right. Um, the stats would probably be a lot better if those plays hadn't happened, but you can say that every game. I thought overall, in the moment, in the environment, uh, it was definitely a positive for Will. The other big question going into last Saturday was the offensive line. Uh, reshuffled the offensive line, moving Kenneth Horsey at the tackle after Horsey had been hurt pretty much all camp, starting Jagger Burton again at the guard. As you said, they didn't were not able to run the ball hardly at all in the first half, but second half started to eat up some yardage. How do you think they feel about the offensive line coming out of that game? I think they feel better. I thought it was definitely interesting. They didn't rotate at all on, on the line in that game. They just kept the starters in there the whole game, basically. And these next two, you would assume they want to get some young some snaps for some young guys to get some experience, especially a guy like Keontae Goodwin. But also because that group played together so little in camp with all the injuries, I think they, they want to get as much experience of, of that five playing together as possible. So that was, that was big. I mean, there were some, some clips out there on the internet that you can see where it was ugly early. I mean, one at Jeremy Flax in particular, where he yeah. just got knocked back into Will Levis. That was, that was not great right. at all, but you know, it seemed like they, they settled down a little bit as the game went on. And, and certainly I think it was a confidence boost in the second half that they didn't abandon the run, that they said, we're going to get this. And, and listening to Rich Scangarello talk on Tuesday, it was, you know, I thought a really nice insight into his thinking about how the, the chess match of this all, where they knew Florida was being aggressive against the run early. And if they could hit that deep pass to Dan Key, it would free some things up. And so you just had to stay confident it was coming. And it did. So I think that helps the offensive line moving forward. Yeah, people thought, include myself, that, that, okay, what adjustments did they make at halftime? Uh, even saw some people say, oh, well, even after the game, even in talking to Rich, that, oh, they made adjustments. I didn't get the feeling that they made adjustments so much as they thought if we can stick to the plan, stick to the plan, it will eventually work. Is that kind of the way you felt? Yeah, I mean, he even said to us Tuesday that they all knew the plays they were going to run to start the second half of, you know, three weeks before or whatever, right. like Will and he had talked <laughs> about them. They, they knew what was coming there. And so, um, 
it, it, it's been pretty interesting this week and even beforehand for them to all just acknowledge how much of the summer prep was about that Florida game. Right. Uh, obviously, there was a game in between them there, but you know, somebody I think uh, maybe it was Vince Mara who said that Rich had been working on that game plan for three months, basically right. at this point since he got here. So it was clear there was a lot of focus. It'll be interesting to see how that works now moving forward when you can't afford to do that every every week. Send me a lift, and I'm sure they're already planning for Ole Miss a little bit now. But once you get into the meat of the SEC schedule, you don't have three months to plan for a game so we'll see how that goes but it, it was obviously a, a really really smart game plan from him yeah we'll get to youngstown in a minute but you brought up the Ole miss game on october 1st the other big news of the week is that chris rodriguez will be eligible for that game he'll sit out two more games the youngstown game saturday and then northern illinois the next saturday so it ends up being a four game suspension i don't care whatever you want to call it. it's a four game suspension uh how big is that to get uh rodriguez back and or were you is that what you thought the how many games he'd sit out we really didn't know but that seemed to be kind of the scuttlebutt yeah i mean that was the early number three or four games and then um you know maybe we and at some points as this drug out thought it was going to go a little longer so i guess it, it kind of circled back to where it originally had been reported so that wasn't a huge surprise but it's it's a really convenient timing i mean all things being equal you probably want him back for northern illinois so he'd have a game to get his feet wet again before sec play but um, that's when the real game start again, and and to have your best running back, the SEC's leading returning rusher, it's it's a big boost. I mean, I I don't know enough about the X's and O's at times to to know how much of the run game troubles have been offensive line, how much of it have been running backs. You know, some of these plays where Cavassier uh, smoke gets hit once and goes down, you would imagine that Chris Rodriguez could break a tackle or two and and get some more uh, of those hidden yards, as they like to say. So that would make the run game look a lot different if he's out there. And um, you know, we got, I think it'll be time to remember when he comes back that he wasn't a perfect player last year. He had fumble issues. He had some other problems here and there. It's a new system with the outside run. I vividly remember last year. Uh, one of the few times they did the outside run, he scored a touchdown, and after the game, he said he hated the outside zone <laughs> rushing, even though <laughs> even though he scored there. So I'm interested to see how that goes with him this year. But all things being equal, you definitely want him on the field. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, Youngstown. You know, uh, I heard some talk of Florida. Well, they had a letdown after beating. Utah, number seven in the country, first game of Billy Napier. They had a little letdown for Kentucky. Of course, you know, Kentucky was an SEC game. Uh, any fear of a letdown for Kentucky after the big win over Florida with a FCS team and Youngstown State coming to town on Saturday? I mean, I think it has to at least be on your mind because they played really poorly against Chattanooga last year, um, their FCS opponent. I think they won by five. Right. Um, since they went to the since they went to the permanent twelve game schedule, I think in two thousand six, and you got to play an FCS team every year, the average margin of victory is like twenty nine points a game, and we know that there were some really bad Kentucky teams in that in that stretch. So normally this game is not a problem, regardless. Uh, the EKU overtime game is the other one that sticks out. I would be more concerned about the letdown if this was reversed and Northern Illinois was coming this week and. Chattanooga was coming next, or sorry, um, Youngstown State was coming next week. But I think uh, there's enough going on. It seems like they have managed to drum up this storyline about it being a big game for Mark Stoops because of the Youngstown ties. And there's certainly a lot of that because he's going to have so much family in. But in terms of the actual opponent on the field, I don't really know how that matters. So we'll see. I, I, it wouldn't shock me if they were a little rusty early, but uh, they're going to want to get a bunch of young guys in this week too. So I think that'll help bring the energy up some. 
Yeah, Rich Cangarello, when we talked to him on Tuesday, he was talking about the receivers, and he said, we got a couple of fast ones we're ready to unleash. We're going to unleash <laughs> now. I think he's figuring there are going to be plenty of opportunities uh, in this game and in the next couple of games to be able to get some of those young guys in. Uh, before we get back to the game itself, you wrote uh, Youngstown State's an FCS opponent. You wrote a story on Kentucky.com. People should go check that out about the future of Kentucky continuing to play FCS teams, considering that it looks you know, like very likely that the SEC is going to go to a nine-game schedule instead of an eight-game schedule. Uh, just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think, obviously, if you go to nine games in the SEC, you've got to drop a non-conference game. And the fear, and I think Kentucky has you know added some fuel to this fear, is they will drop the Louisville series instead of uh, one of these other non-conference games. It seems like an easy solution just to say, don't play an FCS team every year and, and you'll be fine. But Mitch Barnhart, when I talked to him back in the summer, and then Mark Stoops, when I asked him earlier in the week, are both pretty adamant about how they think it's important to support FCS football. And those schools, you know, locally, like EKU and Murray and Moorhead, they depend on these buy games to fuel their athletic department budget. So they seem to think that that's an important thing to do and to keep. The other part of it is it's basically the only way now to guarantee a home game every year because even your MAC teams that you're playing – are starting to demand uh, home and homes uh, or home two two home games right. one road game that's what's going to happen when they play i think they play Toledo and Akron they both have road games against them in the next 5 years on the schedule so we'll see i hope they keep the Louisville game i think it would be a huge mistake if they abandon that just for an extra home gate or to worry about getting to six wins they should be way past that point as a program now but it doesn't feel like the FCS game is going away unless the SEC comes down and tells them you can't play it anymore. And, and I don't think they're going to do that either. So I think it's here to stay. Yeah, same thing. I, yeah, I don't. I agree 100% dropping Louisville I think would be a big mistake. Uh, I think the game has been really good. It's been good for the state. It's been good for promoting football in the state. Um, yeah, I wasn't crazy about it being moved to the last game of the season. I like to be in the first game because that summer talk of Kentucky-Louisville game to look forward to, but I think it's been fine. It's the last game. It could be even more important down the road when you're talking about teams you know, trying to get bowl bids or even better bowl bids. I don't understand why they can't. Why can't you just drop one of those Macs and play an FCS uh, team if that's what you want to do? But as you mentioned, a guaranteed home game with the FCS and more and more, there you have to pay big bucks for the FBS, the Mac teams to come in, or as you mentioned, a two for one. So uh, I'm sure they'll say, "Oh, it's all about economics," but that's hard <laughs> for me to take, considering how much money they're getting, especially from the new TV contract that starts with ESPN in 2024. So. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, okay, back to the Youngstown game. One thing that one negative from the Florida game uh, was Jalen Geiger starting safety injured. They won't say exactly what the injury is. It sure sounds like a torn ACL, lower body injury that's uh, significant is basically all they've said. Jordan Levitt came in and played for uh, Geiger. How do you think that what does that position look like moving forward? The good news is they had depth. I mean, we talked to Frank Buffano, the safeties coach, last night, and he said it wasn't – I mean, obviously, didn't want to lose Geiger, but in terms of throwing Lovett specifically in there at Florida, he already knew he was going to play. Like, the plan this season was the starters, Tyrell Agent and, and Jalen Geiger, were going to rotate with the backups, Jordan Lovett and, and Zion Childress, the transfer from Texas State. And so, 
Uh, both those guys knew they were going to play. Now they're going to have to play more. I think uh, Childress will probably play both of those safety spots, it seems like, based on what Brad White said yesterday. But Lovett's the guy who had a big spring. Obviously, was one of the standouts in the spring game. Uh, North Harden guy, so a lot of attention locally. He seems ready for the moment. He Yesterday, talking to him, he really credited Geiger specifically for helping him all offseason, you know, catch up and learn a new position and uh, get ready to be in moments like he was in the Swamp on Saturday. So, um, all things being equal, you definitely would rather have Geiger out there for the rest of the year, especially this early in the season. But it does seem like Lovett's a guy they're really excited about for the future and, and now the present. Uh, are there back to the young guys for a minute? Are there is there anybody in particular or any one or two players in particular you think we'll get to see that you're interested in seeing Saturday against Youngstown that we haven't seen much of so far? Yeah, I mean, I think the two receivers that they keep mentioning, I assume, are Dekel Crowdis and Jordan Anthony because, you know, Mark has brought up Crowdis probably three or four times already in the first two weeks, even though he hasn't played at all. I always assume when a coach is talking about a guy like that, it, he wants to publicly go out and remind him that he's still a big part and wants to keep him motivated and those things. It feels like this is the week they're going to give him a chance after the injury last year. And then Anthony's the the freshman who won the U-20 uh, track title in the 200 meters this summer is you know, technically the fastest uh, under-20 sprinter in the, in the country. So uh, I'll be interested to see if they find some creative ways to get him the ball in space between those two and Barry and Brown and even Brandon White, who might play some this week, and another freshman who's a former track star. They should should have plenty of speed on the field. That's interesting. And then the other guy is Keontae Goodwin, because I, I think um, Kenneth Horsey was, was fine at, at left tackle at Florida. I didn't really notice any mistakes, which is basically all you want from a, an offensive lineman. But they need Goodwin to, to be a, a reliable piece, at least at a rotation this season. And so these next two weeks, I think it's important to get him some, some in-game experience. Yeah, definitely. I think we'll definitely see Goodwin because I think definitely he's in there, not just long-term plans, but plans for the season. What about defense? Anybody on defense? Might we see uh, some more of the young guys on an outside linebacker? Or? Yeah, that, that's the spot that jumps out for sure. I mean, we've obviously already seen Deion Walker and Alex Safari play a lot. Keaton Wade, I think, played some that first game. Obviously, had, had a big th- third down stop against Miami. I think he'll play more. Um, maybe Tyrese Fear be the other outside linebacker they signed. Uh, he's a four-star kid. He, he'll probably play some this weekend. They even are really high on, on Noah Matthews, who was the, the one spring signee from Delaware who kind of popped up late. I just assume was the developmental player, but he got in on the last series against Miami, and they seem to be really high on his potential. So maybe we'll see him some this weekend too. Um, in the secondary, I, I, I guess they're going to play some of these younger defensive backs who maybe they don't need at the moment, but just in case, like Jalen Geiger goes down, and now you're one guy down, and you never know what's going to happen. So it'll be important to get – you know, like guys like uh, Kobe Albert and Maxwell Hairston uh, experience in case an injury pops up in SEC play, you need them to play then. Yeah, and you can play, but because of that rule that came into effect a couple of years ago where you can play guys four games uh, and they still retain their red shirt, to me, this seems like a perfect opportunity in this game. As long as they you know, keep their head down and take care of business, that you can get those young guys some playing time and make some judgments about who you, you who might help you down the road and who you definitely want to make sure you don't go over that four game limit with um, f- for sure. Uh, circling back to the receivers, you're talking about the young receivers. You Another story you wrote that's up on Kentucky.com is about Kentucky's recruiting of receivers and about uh, Liam Cohen and Wandale Robinson last year, kind of the example they said, and that helped recruit those guys. What did you find out when you talked to people about that? 
It was interesting. I, I wrote a story about Barry and Brown last week after his kickoff return and, and talked to his trainer in Nashville, who's the guy who runs the gym in Nashville, where they are getting all these Nashville area players from the Wade Twins, Hairston, um, Shamar Porter, who's a commitment in the next class. All of those guys are his trainees. And I asked him basically what, what put Kentucky over the top for Brown, because during his recruitment process, you know, Alabama was mentioned for a long time. There were some other schools that popped up. It felt like Kentucky was in the mix, but then it was kind of wishy-washy. And he said, we were really frank with them that when Liam got there, they kept telling us like, we we're going to throw it now. We're going to throw it now. We've got this great receiver in Wanda Robinson. We're going to throw it. And they said, okay, go out and show us, go out and prove it to us that that's what's going to happen. And they did that and, you know, broke the single season record for catches and receiving yards. And, uh, they were able to see that even though everybody on the field knew they were throwing it to Wondell Robinson, they still managed to find creative ways to get him the ball. And that really checked all the boxes. And he said, basically, at that point, it was a no-brainer because of all the you know, geographic advantages of being close to Nashville and stuff you throw in there. So that was a huge deal. I think it was a big deal to get Dane Key because even though he was a local guy and his dad played for UK, the early buzz in his recruitment back in the Eddie Grant era was he was looking elsewhere because they just didn't throw it enough. I mean, even Wanda Robinson went to Nebraska. He flipped to Nebraska out of out of high school because they didn't throw it enough. And so making that offensive change at the time, I thought was a little risky because they had had so much success getting the bowl games every year with that offense. But, you know, I think it was absolutely key in terms of taking the next step forward because now they've been able to recruit a caliber receiver that they just didn't have for most of Stoops tenure here. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I, thought, I was talking. I did a story. Uh, talked to Liam Cohen before the Super Bowl when Liam was still at UK. He hadn't gone to the Rams yet, and back to the Rams yet. And uh, uh, because of Liam's connections to Sean McVay, obviously with the Rams, and then Zach Taylor, who he coached with, who's the head coach of the Bengals. And we were talking about the Rams, and I said, you know, Cooper Cup. I, you know, I, he just, you know, he gets. They are able to throw to him time after time. And how does he get open when they, you know, they're going to throw it to him? And Liam's response was, remind you of anybody? <laughs> so, with that with Wandale. And the thing with Wandale, you know, okay, you you know we're going to throw it to him. We know we're going to throw it to him. We're going to throw it to him anyway. And he's going to catch it, and he's going to make yards, and uh, there's not really a whole lot you can do to stop it. So uh, I thought that was funny, too, because he immediately said, does that remind you of anyone? So uh Anyway, okay, back to the game on Saturday is the big thing, just avoiding a letdown, making sure that, you, that you're emotionally ready to play, even though it's an FCS opponent. As long as they do that, they should be fine. Yeah, they should be. And, and I think, honestly, it, it's a game where you know, winning close is just not enough. Uh-huh. They, they, need to, they need it to be comfortable to get those young guys reps like we talked about so you have a, an idea who you might be able to count on later in the season if you need them to. Yeah, no, I think so. Uh, anything else, John, that you want to plug or talk about that people should look for? Um, it's it's Youngstown Reunion Week. I thought your column about the uh, about the Mark Stoop statue was interesting this week. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see. I'm gonna be canvassing the stadium to see if they're they're putting out <laughs> spots for that statue yet. Ah, uh, probably not. Probably not yet. But we'll see. <laughs> we'll see down the road uh, what what happens there. But uh, yeah, I'm pro statue. Yeah, look for that. I wrote about that. I'm pro. I like the statues at the stadium. So we'll see. And I know at Florida, you know, when we were going to Florida last week and uh, had a little trouble finding the parking garage, you found it before I did. Uh, you and Brett Dawson from the Courier. And when I was coming back up to the wheel call to get my uh, 
to get my credential. And the uh, statues of Spurrier, Warfel, and Tim Tebow are there, not too far from where you have to go. I could barely get around. The, everybody was yeah. crowded around. And then I felt kind of bad because I cut in front of them, and people were taking <laughs> pictures of their kids posing with the statue. And I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so anyway, I think it'd be neat to have. I, I know Kentucky so, has the four statues of the African-American players, which I think is, is great. But I don't see reason they can't add to them. So uh, yeah, so John Clay is pro statue as long as it's not next to me. You will call. That's exactly that's, right. That's, that's right. Because yeah. I'm thinking about me first. Me get out of the way <laughs> so I can get my credential. Yeah, put it on the other side of the stadium. But anyway, okay. Well, Kentucky and Youngstown noon on Saturday. It's SEC Network. We'll have plenty of coverage. We've had plenty of coverage. We'll have more coverage leading up to the game. We'll have coverage during the game. Look for that, of course, and lots of coverage after the game. Uh, John Hale, you can find, and John, remind the listeners where they can find you on Twitter. It's John Hale, J-O-N-H-A-L-E underscore H-L. Be sure and follow John. He's a great follow. Check out all of his coverage of Kentucky football. And as always, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the John Clay Podcast. My thanks to Bob Hannon, the play-by-play man for the Youngstown State Penguins, the voice of the Penguins, and my thanks to John Hale of Daryl Leader and Kentucky.com. Uh, quick reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. Drop me an email, jclay at heraldleader.com. I will have a podcast with Mark Story reviewing the Youngstown State game and, le- and looking ahead to the Northern Illinois game on Saturday the 24th. Uh, that will you look for that either Sunday night or Monday morning. We'll have that as well as we do every week. Again, thanks to Bob Hannon, thanks to John Allen, and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next time on the John Clay Podcast.